Not even on a guitar can I play. 550? Well, yeah, I could. I could play that. Yeah. It's A flat, by the way. No. No, it's B flat. B flat. B E A D. G F C. No. B E A D. G C F. That's too hard. You start going with flats.
Nelda, I don't know how it does your heart, <laughs> but it does my heart for you to sing. I know, amen. She told me that today, and I said, well, I guess, do we need to have a year birthday party for you? Absolutely. Well, if you have your Bible or something that opens up a Bible, open it up to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, we're just about done with the Gospel of John, and uh, appreciate your uh, consistency and your uh itiveness as we've gone through this beautiful gospel. Hopefully you've gotten as much out of it as I have. John chapter 21, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14, just kind of with this thought of what are some of the most spiritual things that we can do, especially when we're waiting on God uh, or waiting on Jesus to give us direction or give us leadership in particular areas. Have you ever felt like you were in a holding pattern? Ever felt like you were kind of sitting and waiting on God, uh, waiting for Him to talk to you, waiting for Him to send you someplace or to do something, but He was saying, not yet, not yet, just hold, just hold, or perhaps you just felt as if the Lord was being quiet, and you knew He wanted you to do something, but He had not quite yet spoken to you on what that something was, and so you're in this Holding, holding pattern, waiting to hear from the Lord, waiting for Him to meet you up on that uh, mountaintop. As I've read through these verses in preparation for this evening, that was the impression that I got of these disciples in chapter 21. Is they had been waiting, they were waiting on the Lord, and while they were waiting, they just decided to go do some fishing. Now chapter 20 ends with Jesus giving us this blessing. We talked about this last week. This beautiful blessing that you need to receive. He says, blessed are you for believing and not having seen. And that's a wonderful thing when uh, we can say we have believed based on the testimony of God's word. And there is a special blessing for us in that. In his closing statement of the purpose of his rising, of his, of his writings in chapter 20 was to foster belief. That was the whole purpose of the word of God was to, uh, to develop and to, to bring belief to those who heard the calling of God. All right, right. Uh, what does Romans uh, ten seventeen say? Uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of the Lord. Well, now we're in chapter twenty one, and chapter twenty one opens up with the introduction of Jesus. He's he's going to appear a third time to his disciples, and it happens as the disciples are just kind of waiting around. They're waiting around for what's next, and if you uh, uh, line up the Gospel of John with the Gospel of Matthew, when, uh, when, the, when the ladies see Jesus, Jesus tells them to go and meet them on the mountain of Galilee. This talks about the, the lake of Tiberias. Tiberias and Galilee are the same location, uh, just so you know. And so these, these mesh up. These are not contradicting, uh, contradicting one another. They're at the, the, the mountain of Galilee. They're, they're waiting on Jesus, and it's, it's what's next. And my assumption of this Attitude is in what Peter suggests to the disciples as to what they should do. Let's go fishing. And so with that, I want to make kind of a play on some spiritual activities that the disciples do in this text that we can and should relate to while we are waiting on God's direction in our own lives. Because here's the deal. We should not do anything or go anywhere without a sure confirmation that it is the will of God for our lives. And so while we're waiting on that sure confirmation, of what we should do or where we should go or what we should say, then what are the spiritual activities that we can be doing? Because the last place we want to be is out of God's will. 
the last thing we want to do is say something that is not God's will or do something that is not God's will. Well, let's read our scripture. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And I told you, that's the same place as the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there was so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pause a moment for prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its impact on our lives. Father, I pray that we would get a message from this. Father, that you would strip away the bones and the fat and that we would get pure meat. Lord, that we would devour it in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit. Lord, that you would grow each and every one of us. Lord, sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is not what other people would consider to be spiritual things. But Lord, we're not concerned with other people. We're concerned with you and our relationship with you. So, Father, my prayer is that you would grow each and every one of us in our own personal way. Lord, that you would give us a hunger for you. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. And so in relation to this text, there's three spiritual activities. I'm just having a little fun here. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go fishing. I've heard this preached, this scripture, and I've read a lot of commentators. I tell you, I read a lot of commentators as I prepare for sermons. And a lot of them, some of them well known, by the way, state that what the disciples were doing when they get in the boat and go out to sea to go fishing was actually wrong, that they were supposed to be waiting up on the mountain for Jesus, and that this was actually sin, uh, that they were in sin. When Jesus shows up on the shores of, of the Tiberias, or the Galilee there, is that the disciples were in the wrong for doing that. Instead of being on the mountain, they were out on the sea. This assumption of this is also based on the verb that Peter uses when he says that he is going fishing. The verb is what's called a present tense indicative. And I don't want to get too much into the jargon here, but a present tense in Greek is not just something happening in the here and now, but it is a continual state of action. And the indicative mood in the Greek language emphasizes a fact or a condition. 
And so what some of these commentators would say, and again, some of these are well-known. I don't want to mention their names. I don't want to skew this by any means. Is they would interpret verse 3 when Peter says, I am going fishing, as to saying, I am now going to be a fisherman. I'm done with this following Jesus stuff, and I am going out to be a fisherman. The picture they believe they are seeing is one of Peter calling it quits of following Jesus and starting up his old employment. Remember, he was a fisherman by employment. Now, I'm not a well-known commentator. I don't have you know, any books that I've written on, on any of the, the books of the Bible, and I certainly don't want to start an argument with any of these commentators. But this language can also be emphatic. Uh, the indicative verbs, the, the present tense verbs, aren't always talking about a change of of scenery, sometimes they can just be emphatic, and as if Peter is simply fed up with waiting on the mountain, and he's made a decision, I'm going to go do some fishing, as if he is saying to them, when Jesus shows up, let him know I'm out on the water. I have a problem saying the disciples were sitting for one simple reason. When they do come face to face with Jesus, as we just read in this texture, uh, in this scripture, he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say to them, what are you doing out there on the water? Why are you out there fishing? In fact, he gives them fishing tips. He has never re- withheld rebuke when the disciples were in sin or when they doubted. So why would he now? So that's a very simple reason. As I say, I don't think they're sinning when they do this. Surely if fishing was wrong, then he would have let them know. Remember when they were falling asleep in the garden? Boy, he didn't hold back, did he? What are you weaklings doing? Falling asleep. Come on, guys. So he would have let them know. So there's also the fact that it reads too much into the scripture for the sake of making a point when you want to say, well, they weren't up on the mountain, they were out of the boat, and that's just wrong. And, and frankly, there's a whole lot of good that can come from just going fishing. Like I said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just go fishing. Why do I say that? Well, here are some points. Number one, idle hands. What's that old saying? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. That's not in the Bible, by the way. One of these days I want to preach a series on things that are not in the Bible that we think are. That's not in the Bible. It's just a good old saying. And while it's not in the Bible, there is truth to this statement. When we are a little deflated, a little discouraged, when we're waiting on the Lord, we have a tendency to get ourselves into trouble with our thoughts, with our actions, with our distractions. Peter's suggestion is at least productive. Let's go do a little fishing. Let's go sit in the boat. Let's go see what's out in the water. I don't have a problem with that because he's putting himself to work in a productive way. The second reason I I think this is a good thing that they're going fishing is, you know, there's just not quite any fellowship like the fellowship that happens in a boat. I haven't spent a lot of time in a fishing boat. I've gone fishing a few times when people have invited me, but boy, there's a lot of good talking that happens out there on the water. There's a lot of good visiting that happens, especially when the fish aren't biting. Now, there were 11 disciples left. Remember, Judas had killed himself. According to verse 2, there were seven of the disciples gathered together here. It wasn't all 11 of them, just seven of them, including Peter, when they decided to go fishing. And it was a group decision. Peter did not invite them, but he certainly did not tell them they could not go. Anyone who has ever done any fishing knows it is much more fun in a group. It's a time of fellowship, time of eating junk food, telling fishing stories, and just general encouragement. Even if you don't catch anything, which they don't at first, you generally are glad to go fishing, aren't you? 
just to be out on the water and just enjoy time. I remember going on a little fishing trip with about six or seven guys. We were up on the shore. Only one person caught one fish. And I tell you, it was one of the best times I've ever had, even though we didn't catch a thing because of the fellowship that we had. Another reason that fishing can be good is because of the fellowship that happens, even for guys who aren't fishermen. Thomas was not a fisherman, and yet he went. Commentators like to consider this to be a sin because they believe these men are falling back on their old lifestyle. But Thomas wasn't a fisherman. He was going for the fellowship. They went back to that which they had forsaken for the sake of Christ's call? No, they didn't. Thomas hadn't done that. As far as we can tell, Thomas was not a fisherman. So why did he go? One of the reasons he might have gone is because the last time he wasn't with the majority of the disciples, what did he miss? The first appearance of Jesus Christ. Maybe Thomas had learned his lesson. I'm going to stay with these guys because you never know when Jesus is going to show up. What happened? Jesus showed up. Perhaps he had learned his lesson or perhaps he recognized the need and opportunity for fellowship with his brothers, with his fellow disciples. Finally, it's fishing, not catching, right? Have you ever heard that saying, it's fishing, not catching? One final reason commentators suggest that the disciples had done wrong in going fishing was the fact that they labored all night yet did not catch a thing. Obviously, the commentators have never gone fishing. They realize you can put a lot of time in a boat and still not catch a thing. Now, certainly the fact that when Jesus shows up and they catch a net full of fish is a powerful illustration of what happens when we do ministry in our own strength versus in God's strength. I think there's a very powerful illustration there about that. And we can certainly drive that point home as to why we need to rely on God's strength and God's wisdom in ministry to complete His calling. But not catching fish is not proof of God's disfavor. It was not a result of God's displeasure. When nothing is biting, that's when conversations can be the most meaningful. When you're sitting there in the quiet of that water lapping up against the boat, because instead of talking about how many fish they were going to eat or perhaps the, the best uh, way to fry some fish up, perhaps the conversation turned to that time Jesus showed up earlier in their time together and they had filled their nets so much that the nets started to tear. Maybe they were sitting there in that boat in the quiet of that evening and nothing was getting into the nets. And they said, you remember that time Jesus showed up and we caught so many fish that the nets were tearing? You can read about that in Luke chapter 5, verse 6. Turn there and read that story sometime. Maybe they were talking about some of the memories they had of Jesus. Maybe they were talking about what's going to happen when Jesus does show up again and he gives us some further direction. Here's my point in this whole scene. The most spiritual thing we can do sometimes is just fellowship with fellow believers. I'm using the fishing as just kind of a fun thing. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is spend time with other believers, whether it's in church, whether it's at a fellowship, whether it's over a cup of coffee and a piece of pie. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is to care for one another enough to spend time with one another. It can be hard sometimes because we're so often we think we need to be self-sufficient. That's not what the church is supposed to be. The church isn't about being self-sufficient, independently sufficient. The church is all about us being a body. I'm an arm, you're a leg, she's a knee, you're an elbow. And we make up the body of Christ together. Number two, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go for a swim. When Jesus does show up, 
Peter does not hesitate, does he? He jumps in that water. He shows up and he gives them some fishing tips. The one thing I really appreciate about fellow fishers, and I'm not a great fisherman by any means of imagination. I don't go very often, but I always appreciate tips. That's one of the things you can say about people who fish a lot is they're not too proud to take on some fishing tips. Try this bait. Try this fishing hole. Although some people won't share their fishing holes, but you know how that goes. Where to go, what bait to use, when to go, and so on. It's like we're not too proud to take some advice. We just want to catch some fish. And so when Jesus shows up and tells them to change their fishing tactics, they do it, don't they? And immediately John knows who it is. That's the disciple that Jesus loves. That's what he, how he entitles himself. We've talked about throughout this series, it's not that Jesus doesn't love the other disciples. John is trying to hide his identity. He tells Peter, and Peter has this reaction I think we should all have. He just jumps right in. Puts on his clothes, thankfully, he doesn't go skinny dipping, but he puts on his clothes and jumps right into the water. Not for the exercise. What I'm really pointing out is Peter's great desire to be with Jesus. Listen, when all else fails and we don't know what is going on or where we are going or what the Lord has next for us, the very best, most spiritual thing we can do is go running to Jesus or swimming in this matter. Sure, he, he could have gone in the boat, but they were dealing with a net full of fish. Peter didn't care about the fish anymore. He didn't, he, it's not that he didn't care. It's just his mind was on other things. He left the boat. Perhaps it was his boat. His mind was not on the boat. He left the fishing equipment. Perhaps it was his fishing equipment, but his mind wasn't on the fishing equipment. He left his friends to deal with it all. His mind was not on his friends. And I'm not saying this was necessarily the best plan. He could have waited. After all, the text seems to indicate that they show up to shore shortly after Peter does. But what I'm saying is that the reaction is one of hunger. Hunger to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Hunger to be in the presence of the Lord. And remember, Peter was the one who had denied him publicly three times. Peter was the one that had brought great shame upon himself after Jesus had said, Peter, you're going to do this. And he said, oh, I'll go to the grave with you, Jesus. Yet he is the one that denied him. And yet he was hungry, hungry to be in the presence of his Savior. When we go through one of those spiritual dry spells, we might try to play games with the Lord. Well, if he doesn't want to talk to me, then I just won't. I won't have anything to do with him. If he's going to be mean to me, then I just won't worship him anymore. Let's not play games with the Lord. Let's be real. I am desperate for God's presence in my life. And if I see him on the shore, I'm telling you right now, I don't even know if I'd put my clothes on. I think I might just jump into the water and go for a swim immediately to go and be in his presence. If I saw him in the hallway, I might just leave this pulpit and go running out into the hallway. If I saw him across the way at Walmart, I might just make a complete idiot of myself and yell and holler at him, Jesus, I'm over here. And I don't care what anybody in Walmart would think of me. I just want to be in his presence. And if that is your attitude, then the logical question is, what is keeping us from spending as much time in His presence as we possibly can? You know where I'm going with this, right? God's Word. God's Word. Every time we are in it, His presence is made more real in our lives. You want to hear God speak? Spend more time in His Word. I hear Him speak every time I read from His Word. You want to speak to Him? Spend more time in prayer. Jesus in John 15, remember when we covered that, we talked about Him wanting us to abide in Him and Him abiding in us. 
And he gave us the two keys, prayer and Scripture. Prayer and Scripture. Not too hard. It's very simple. That's what Peter went running for. There's some disturbing statistics out there that less than 40% of Christians who claim to be born-again Christians spend regular time in meaningful prayer in Bible study. What does that mean exactly? Exactly, meaningful time in prayer. Listen, if your only prayer is, Lord, bless this food to my body and let it nourish me, <laughs> that's not meaningful prayer. That's great. I'm glad you're blessing your food. That's not meaningful prayer. And I don't mean to put anybody down, but I want to encourage you. I want to emblazon your faith, and hopefully you'll grow in understanding what in what, what a meaningful time in prayer is. That's when you get real with the Lord. That's when you confess your sins. That's when you ask Him to be real to you and, and impress on you what His will is for your life. That's when you start praying for the lost. That's when you start praying for God to be uh, moving in your life. Meaningful time in Bible study means more than just a, a, a reading your daily bread verse, one verse, and reading what other, other, other people have to say about that verse. Meaningful Bible study means reading chunks of Scripture and praying over that Scripture. Perhaps tonight we can go home and, and pick up God's Word and ask Him to speak deeply into us from one of the chapters of His Bible. If you think about that, less than 40% of, uh, of Christians who claim to be born again, that means if there's 20 people in this room, roughly there's 20 people, that means only 8 of us are spending meaningful time. Don't start... Don't start casting a stone. Oh, it's you. <laughs> that's, that's not the point. Listen, it's, 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 it's just a, hopefully an encouragement for us to take personal responsibility, to take ownership of our relationship with God, to go jumping in the water and go for a swim, to be with Jesus. Finally, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is have a catfish po' boy. Come on. Okay, they didn't have catfish probably in the Sea of Galilee. Here's this final spiritual activity. Peter shows up, the other disciples show up, and what has Jesus got going on? He's got a fire, he has fixed fish, he's got bread, okay, maybe it wasn't a catfish po' boy. Whatever kind of fish they catch over there, that's, that's what they were having. But you get the point. Sometimes you just need to have a meal. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is feed yourself physically. The fact that Jesus was there fixing fish and eating with them was proof that they had physically raised from the grave, that he had physically raised from the grave. This was not some kind of spiritual apparition standing before the disciples, and we need to be sure to make, uh, to make note of this. So when those who doubt the claims of the scripture, the claims of our faith, then we can say, no, 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 I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. And that is the point John wants to point out. At this point, there was no doubt among these seven. He says in the scripture that we just read, not one of them asked who he was, for they all knew it was the Lord. Not one of them were doubting any longer. The ones of these, the, the, these seven were no longer doubting who was standing, who was fixing fish, who was fixing these po'boys for them. What is about to happen in the next part of the scripture is Jesus is going to restore Peter in right standing. I mentioned that this morning. He's going to ask him those three questions. Do you love me? And if so, then here's the challenge. I want you to take care of my sheep. We're going to look at that next week, Lord willing. But first, let's eat, the Lord says. Let's, let's, let's come and dine. That's the reason I requested that, that song tonight. Come and dine. And that second verse of that song has all to do with that. God has set the table. 
And He is inviting us in to have fellowship with Him. Before we do anything else, let's have fellowship with the Lord with one another. It's a literal invitation to be a part of His family, part of life. You see, the, the first one was all about being with your brethren. The second one was all about being with Jesus. This third one is all about us being with Jesus together. That's the point of the church, is that we come to Jesus together, and we help each other come to Jesus together. You don't hear Peter now. You remember back in John 13 when Jesus wanted to uh, wash their feet? Remember what Peter did? He, he refused it, right? You can't wash my feet, Jesus. I need to wash your feet. You don't hear him refusing this sandwich, do you? He's ready to die with the Lord. He's ready to be served by the Lord. What's changed? Peter had. And it's in these moments that when we allow God to serve us, we got, allow God to feed us together, that we learn, that we grow, we recognize that the best spiritual nourishment that can happen is always from Christ. And frankly, whether the Lord is offering us a catfish po' boy or something less tangible but just as nourishing, we would be wise to take hold of what He is serving up. Consider the words he said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 10. He said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If we recognize he's offering us a, a sandwich, who's asking us to come and dine, we would take a seat at the table and we would eat and dine with the Lord. Hopefully you recognize, I'm not talking about a literal meal at this point. I'm talking about us spiritually dining with the Lord together. So what now? My point in all of this is that sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is not some thing, some great and wonderful thing that the world might label as great, that, that, that we as, as Christians might label a great spiritual activity, but instead just finding a way to spend time with each other, to spend time with the Lord, then us worship and come before the Lord together as a family of God. And my hope is that if you find yourself in a quandary, wondering where the Lord is leading you, what direction He has you going in your life, then you might just take a moment. Do some of these spiritual activities. Go fishing. Go swimming. Take a bite of the catfish pole boy. And while this story happened thousands of years ago, Jesus here in 2018 is still setting the table before us. And he's saying, come and dine, come and have a relationship with me, have a relationship with one another, and have a relationship with me. Come and dine and be a part of my family. He is a drink for the dry and thirsty. He is a meal for the malnourished. He is a joy for the depressed. And he cares for little old you and little old me. Won't we be a witness of that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you're always ready to spend time with us. If we would just simply come and dine with you. If we would recognize that the table is set. The table was set the moment you took the cross. That you desperately, not desperately, but you do want to spend time with us. And you're calling out to us. You're saying, come believer, come Christian, come and dine. Come sit at the table. Come with one another. See what I've given you. Lord, may we be refreshed in you and nothing else. And it's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, let's